In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Genesis 3, verses 4 and 5. This is a familiar story, well discussed and pulled apart for centuries. Minister Rob Bell, author of a couple of books I'm reading at the moment, asked whether the greatest truth about this story of Adam and Eve and the apple is that it happened or that it happens. Hang on a minute, my children say. It's an ancient story about the fall of man. But if you think about it, it's also our story for the here and now. We've been given an inch and taken a mile, crossed boundaries, disobeyed authorities, made decisions to do things our way, then looked back and said to ourselves, what was I thinking? The fruit looked good to our distant relatives right then, but the consequences were there for them for the rest of their lives and ours. Do it my way and pay for it forever. The story happened, and it happens. It's an accurate description of how life is. Rob Bell says the reason the stories in the Bible have resonated with so many of us over the years is that we've seen ourselves in them. Think of your own favorite story from the Bible. I identify with Esther. To look at me, I don't feel the typical homeschool sandals. At first glance, I am not a Bible-thumping look-alike. At one vestry meeting, the bishop's aide looked around the table of men and happened upon my smiling face and said, You must be the token woman. I bristled, but then I wasn't surprised. In that circle, I certainly could have been mistaken for the token woman. He didn't know that if he knew me, I was anything but token. Esther, because of her non-stereotypical demeanor, was used by God to save her nation by appealing to the king. I'm being used in some way too, and I'm happy that my talents can bring you this show to encourage all of you in your homeschooling journey. The Bible tells stories that happened and happen. It's alive today. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny. My guest this week is Dr. Colin Thomas, a biology professor at the local college all my children attended before they went off to complete their degrees. Together, Dr. Thomas and my blue-eyed son dispelled another homeschooling myth about college campuses. So stick around to find out more. Among other things, I'll be talking about my teacher daughter's college fun, a pedicure, Facebook fun, and casting a mattress across town. It's time for 11s, so get a drink and a well-deserved morning snack and put your feet up for an hour while I share Texas through British eyes. 
the weather did cool off on Sunday, as we were promised, but gradually heated up again as the week progressed. But we did enjoy lovely autumn temperatures for a couple of days that had the pool looking sparkling and inviting to everyone but me. I'm not a water person. I also managed a couple of walks that made me feel really good because my body began to ache in all the right places. Whoop hoo. My daughter, who she lives at home still and she works a lot, but mostly when we're asleep since she has to be at her coffee shop at 4.30 in the morning in order to be able to open at 5, still asks, what are we doing today when she's at home? And I'd like to say sometimes of volunteering at a shelter or ministering to someone other than self, but I'm not doing any good works yet, so look who's talking. And yesterday afternoon, she and I went for a long-promised treat of a pedicure. I'd never been to one, so was a bit wary and not relishing the thought that someone else was going to be doing all the stuff I usually do to my feet. I sat in the massage chair and prepared to be pampered and possibly hurt a bit. And I was, and I wasn't. It didn't hurt in the least and wasn't even ticklish, although after all the rubbing and massaging, I had to go home and lie down because I became really nauseated. Massages do that to me. No one else in my family can understand it. And I chose bright green nail polish. Malia was more demure. She chose pink. And I thought, why go for a color you've already got at home? Then my teacher daughter in Corpus Skyped me and I showed her my totos and she said, Mother, look. And guess what? She'd chosen exactly the same color polish for hers, 700 miles away. Okay, well, I think I mentioned last week that I am now Facebooked, and I don't know if I'm liking it. I don't have many friends, which people are pointing out to me, and I was expecting my tweets to generate some requests, but I think all they're doing is irritating my seven friends whose walls are filling up with my Twitter feed. Oh, I need to do some work. But before I start sending out hundreds of friend requests, I'm going to be calling around some of the more savvy users I know and asking some questions that my children can't answer. And I'm pleased to report that my school teacher daughter in Corpus is feeling so much better this week. And she went to her two college classes. Drama was the first, and I jokingly told her that since she'd missed the first week, her professor would more than likely throw her in at the deep end and have her do improv. You're a tree floating in the wind, she laughed, and I was right. She called me afterwards and said, how did you know, mother? She always calls me mother when she's being stern. And her next class speech, there was a girl who'd been in the drama class. I have a friend, she said when she called. Note, this wasn't a Facebook friend. It was a real friend. Well, a long, long time ago, when I decided to homeschool, um, at least as far as my girls went, or one girl, the youngest, was still a baby, and she didn't count because I was going to have to stay at home with her anyway. I had to tell my other half what I was thinking. Now, my Texan is a cowboy in name only. Underneath the hat, he's an astute man. Get past the spurs, and he knew that something had been happening in his wife's head. With the results then, I told him that I agreed this new way of raising girl children did sound like a good idea. My job now was to turn him into a wholehearted fan of the changes he was going to see in his wife. I listed them swiftly and confidently. First and foremost, his wife would never again, well, maybe never again, look for a paying job. His status would be elevated to sole breadwinner. His children would be allowed to run riot in the house all day, every day. His wife would be physically exhausted and smell of baby powder and apple juice at bedtime. 
He'd be the primary provider of intelligent conversation at home for at least a decade. His children would be safe both physically and mentally most of the time. His wife would develop a whole vocabulary of one- and two-syllable words. He'd always know where everyone was. And finally, his children would beguile everyone with their English accents. As I paused for breath, his acceptance speech came quickly and soundly. Up and at him, cowgirl. Let's do it. I heaved a great sigh of relief and lassoed him with, It's all in Deuteronomy 6, which is, according to my Bible-thumping, well-heeled friend. He smiled. And I continued, You can tell your mother and your in-laws what a brilliant idea you and God just had. With that, the first officer of our new home school was appointed, Harold. Telling his mother that her daughter-in-law had had this brilliant idea was quite enlightening. She couldn't understand why I wanted to join the ranks of those fanatical individuals. What's wrong with y'all, she said. You're fixing to break the law. Public school never did you any harm. She further told her son that she'd never met a homeschooler and she hoped she never would. Apart from Vivian now, of course, she added. In addition, while she respected our decision, she wasn't going to tell anyone at work about what we were about to do. This was what I expected my parents to say, only using more English words. However, to give them their due, my parents reacted quite well when told about our plans. Since they were still boasting that they had a real, live, genuine cowboy in the family, when he told them the news on the telephone machine, they reportedly said, Vivian will make a wonderful teacher. She has a degree in education and is fully qualified, but then you knew that, didn't you, Larry? He didn't tell me until later that they'd also muttered under their breath, what are we going to tell the neighbors? And then asked, and what do you think, son? While the telling was being told, I continued with my research. Now I was looking at how far I could go with homeschooling. Could I take it to its logical conclusion, or would it turn out to be a flash-in-the-pan idea that didn't realistically withstand the passage of time and the teenage years? I checked on materials and was probably the only potential homeschooling mum with elemental children who had high school and college curricula at her fingertips, including sites for internet and correspondence courses, dual credit initiatives, and names of umbrella schools where students could be enrolled a few days a week. The state of Texas was perfectly okay with my interesting idea, and enthusiastic mothers Yes, I did find some of these. Fell over themselves to spill the beans about all they knew. I went to book fairs and mentally spent whole ISD budgets. I located local support groups to combat burnout and attended workshops where I met and spoke to lively and articulate teenage homeschoolers. Somewhere during my exploration, I discovered that, homeschool, that the homeschool movement was a wide and multifarious culture, more fun than mental. And whether they wore Amish-style dresses or Dior, lived in the boonies or Highland Park, went to church on Sunday or drank coffee at Starbucks, their common thread was homeschooling. And their lifestyle fit into the category of je sans frontier, no boundaries, a my kind of thinking outside the box kind of culture. Now, before we go on a break, I have to preface my guest with this piece of insight. As homeschoolers, we, the blue, green, and brown-eyed McNenny family, were forewarned by many upright members of the homeschooling community that college campuses were dangerous places for our children unless they were Christian college campuses, and that by depriving our children of the latter, we ran the risk of losing their souls. We were also warned by our priest that certain career choices were not considered 
good Christian topics of study. He roundly condemned our choice of worldly pursuits, namely the music industry, theater, film, and entertainment, also known as our careers, during our 10-year friendship. We took his opinions and jives with a handful of salt because we had confidence in ourselves that wherever the world took us in our creativity, there would be God in all his glory. And I think in the end, the scales dropped from his eyes. But I don't know for sure. Consequently, when our blue-eyed son decided to follow an admirable career in science, probably the most dangerous activity a Christian homeschooler can dabble his toes in on a secular campus, I read him and his siblings a nifty little book about creation. My son was so impressed by the truth that he used it in a paper for Dr. Thomas. And this began a friendship that enriched both their lives. Now stay tuned to hear the rest of the story after this break. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Get ready for resources, tools, and support to help you build a successful business and live an awesome life. It's the Women's Business Success Show with your host, founder of the Association of Women Entrepreneurs, Tara McHugh. Thursdays at 11 a.m. Central here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Each show will feature a special guest interview. Tara will bring you highly successful entrepreneurs sharing their stories of success. You'll hear about the challenges they faced along their journey together with the advice they have to help you achieve more. You'll also hear from various personal and business development experts sharing tips, solutions, and strategies that you can easily implement into your business and life for amazing results. For more on Tara and her show, check out her website, aofwe.com. Then join us for the Women's Business Success Show with your host, the founder of the Association of Women Entrepreneurs, Tara McHugh. Thursdays at 11 a.m. Central here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Have you been laid off, fired, downsized, right-sized, or re-engineered out of a job? Are you unemployed or anticipate that possibility? Then tune in for Successfully Unemployed, hosted by Alan Sherwood, MBA, president of Sherwood Consulting Service. Successfully Unemployed will provide you a hope-filled and comprehensive approach to the job search process from an author who's experienced it all. Alan and his guests will cover all dimensions of a job search, physical tasks, mental attitude, emotional health, even one spiritual perspective. All must be integrated in order for a person to be successfully unemployed so they can then be successfully employed. This show is designed to help you move forward from job loss to finding or creating more fulfilling work. For more on Alan Sherwood, MBA, and the show, check out his website, SuccessfullyUnemployed.com. Then join us for Successfully Unemployed with Alan Sherwood, MBA. Thursday nights at 8, 7 Central here on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. 
my guest this week is Dr. Colin Thomas, the professor at Colin College and one of my zookeeper son's mentors and friends. Dr. Thomas completed undergraduate work at the University of Texas at Austin in the Plan II Liberal Arts program. He remained at Texas to complete his doctorate in molecular biology and then went on to perform postdoctoral studies in cellular biophysics at the Rockefeller University in New York. With these kinds of qualifications on offer at the local college, how does a homeschooling mum compete? After circumstances in New York took him away from his own experiments for a while, he decided to change focus and return turn to his native Texas where he lives with his wife, two children, four dogs, five turtles, a micro pig, numerous fish and arthropods in an old tumble-down house in South Dallas that he claims to be slowly renovating. When he isn't dealing with plumbing hemorrhages, peeling paint, rotted wood, or fire ants a little too close to home, he enjoys just spending time with his family. I've invited him to my show today because I'm intrigued by stories I've heard about the slowly evolving but increasingly significant change in his own disposition towards homeschooling. Welcome, Dr. Thomas. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining me today, and um, hopefully our connections will be good. I'm having a little bit of a problem myself with Skype, but can you hear me okay? I can, and, and I apologize. I, I don't know what's going on, but we'll, we'll muddle through it. Oh, no, that's fine. That's fine. I, I, I love it. It's live radio, like live theater, and I thrive on that. Okay. All right, Dr. Thomas, my science-seeking son, Simon, had such a wonderful experience with you at his, as his professor at Colin College that all the fears that I had about him pursuing the love of his life, which was herpetology, faded. So tell me, what were your feelings about homeschoolers when you first met my son? Well, I have to say that I had a lot of preconceived notions. I, I moved mm -hmm. here from New York. I had never... I had never really spent any significant time in, in this part of the South. And mm -hmm. so I'm sort of in Texas. I'm at the center of the Bible Belt. Mm -hmm. And I have certain sorts of preconceived notions about um, the ferocity, maybe, of some people's faith mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and a suspicion about homeschoolers that, that maybe their religious motives underpin everything and, and, mm -hmm. and, that, and that maybe there's some some element that that may be misguided. I'm, 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 I'm not a Christian, and I, I, and I had a, a very bigoted notion that the reason why people homeschooled in the South was that it was purely because they wanted to religiously indoctrinate their children. And, mm -hmm. um, and so I had a lot of, again, preconceived notions about, as a consequence of that, the, the, mm -hmm. the erudition and sophistication of homeschool students. Well, the irony of it is, is that I teach my students to question their assumptions, and uh, it wasn't something that I ever really thought about until I met Simon. So mm -hmm. he, he was mm -hmm. sort of the first one who really completely changed my, my attitudes about that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, you said something about um, you teach your student, uh, students to question their assumptions. And I think we all fall into that trap, don't we? We don't, we don't really um, listen to our own advice a lot of times. No, and, absolutely. I mean, that, that's, yeah. that's exactly what it was. I, I, um, I mean, I, I always like that Emily Dickinson poem that says, Faith is a fine invention for gentlemen who can see, but microscopes are prudent in an emergency. It's sort of, that's sort of my mantra, you know, but mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is, is I hadn't really looked particularly carefully at, uh, at the fact that uh, what I really like about biology, what I really like about science is, uh, is kind of romantic. In other words, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a way, it's a lens of viewing the world, of viewing questions about origins, of viewing things that are, that are really 
in in a really fundamental way, kind of spiritual uh, uh, through through the through the lens of science. And mm-hmm. what's interesting is that a lot of students who enter biology don't feel that way about biology. I say the vast majority of them don't. And so so one of one of my desires is to let them actually feel that kind of. I don't know, transcendental alienation that you feel when you see something new for the first time. And what was so amazing about Simon and, and about some other homeschoolers I've had since then is that they, they approach knowledge and subject matters, uh, subject matter as, uh, uh romantic disciplines, as, mm-hmm. as esoteric pursuits that are worthwhile for reasons other than getting a degree or getting a job. And I think a lot of that probably emanates from from the way homeschoolers teach, I, I think you know, particularly religious homeschoolers, because mm-hmm. because there doesn't need to be an underlying rationale for somebody who believes in a, a divine mentality mm-hmm. to, to 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 study biology, because for 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 many people that in and of itself is is enough, mm-hmm. uh, and so evidence of that sort of thing. And so while I don't subscribe to those kinds of notions, uh, my 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 feelings about biology are fundamentally not at all different from. Mm-hmm from, say, Simon's uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, feelings at that time when I had him, you know. They were motivated by different things, but they were essentially the same. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you're saying that a lot of times people go into biology and, and further than maybe just the 101 that you're taking as a prereq at college, um, as a career, because yeah. they're trying to answer questions, they're seeking... They're, yeah? yeah? Yeah, I think, I yeah. think they're trying to... They're trying, they, well, they view... They view College maybe is a vehicle for career training and for getting a job, and there's nothing there's nothing you know wrong or unsavory about that. But but my own personal perspective on like why you get an education is is for enlightenment. It's for reasons that aren't particularly substantive, other than sort of for the same reason people go to church. I mean, they, it's a it has to do with developing parts of your being that that mm-hmm. uh, that that don't necessarily have a bottom line, you know? And so, and so I've had a lot in common with, with my religiously motivated homeschoolers mm-hmm. uh, in terms of their, just their fundamental epistemology about, like, uh-huh. why is it that we learn things, you know? Uh-huh. Well, and, and I know just from my own experience, well, to start with, I also had preconceived notions of homeschoolers, which I talk about a lot on my show because my, my um, goal is to bust those stereotypes completely and utterly and show people that, you know, homeschooling is for everyone. It's not just for those religious underpinning reasons, you know. Right, and, right. Um, you know, and I had this terrible stereotypic view of um, homeschoolers. And quite honestly, I, you do see them. I mean, I, I see them sort of um, forming in front of my eyes. You know, they're exactly what my stereotype is. So they're out there, but they're not all like that. Only a very few are like that, like every stereotype. Yeah, well, but, I haven't, um, that's, that's true. I haven't met them. I mean, my, my experience with the homeschoolers I've had have been that they have a level of emotional maturity and, and kind of emotional intelligence that, uh, that, that maybe my public school students don't have. And I don't know if that, if that just has to do with the idea that when you're homeschooled, you're socialized with rational, caring introspective adults, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully mm-hmm. your parents. I mean, clearly there's something different about your parents that makes them special, mm-hmm. I think. If they're, if they're willing to spend this much time and effort, they take mm-hmm. that much stake in, in your mm-hmm. education. Then, mm-hmm. and, and, so, and so, yeah, so my, literally my unequivocal experience with students who've come into my office have conducted themselves in a certain manner. Invariably, I can ask them. It's happened probably, I don't know, half a dozen to a dozen times. Where did you go to high school? And they'll say, well, I was homeschooled. And I'm like, I knew it. Mm-hmm. Because they're conduct- they comport themselves as adults. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 like I said, their their attitude towards learning is is as such. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's it's very mm-hmm. mature. So yeah, yeah. Well, we do encourage them to um, be self motivated, which they have to be. Because I mean, why get up if you can just spend the whole day in bed because you're not actually going to go to school? <laughs> so <laughs> so they do get up and they are motivated. And I know with Simon. Really, he didn't want to sit down and learn how to read, write essays, do math. He just wanted to be outside doing stuff. And so I complied with that by taking my book that I was reading to him down into the field and shouting it at him while he was up the tree, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Oh, and great. so, you know, he was he was able to express himself physically the way he wanted to, as well as I was able to be flexible enough to, you know, read him. He would dictate his essays and stories to me because he wanted to be doing something else, but his mind was still going. And and um, in the end, he wanted so much to work with animals that he said to me, I am going to have to get a degree, you know, a science degree. Yeah. And I said, oh, Simon, there has to be an easier way for you because all I'm seeing is this kid with mud all over his hands, you know, and yeah. thinking, how is he going to do that? But then, oh. you see, he, his first experience was with you at Colin College, and you just, you know, fed right into that, you know, doing the albino DNA with him, with that snake of his, and, you know, just made him see that, oh, gosh, yes, this can be exciting too, learning all of this stuff. So, Well, I would say, like, those kinds of behaviors are quintessential, you know, uh, young scientist behavior. Yes, yes. So, so yeah, I think from the get-go, he, he, I mean, homeschooling is definitely important, but Simon is also a very, very special uh, guy in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, his, 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 his motives and, and, and his intellectual and emotional capacities. Uh, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. now I was really lucky yeah. to have him as a student. I'm very yeah, grateful. well, he was very lucky to have you as a professor, so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, Okay, so now obviously you think a little bit more highly of homeschoolers because they are, um, they're, they're learning, um, they're coming to learn science and, and biology and other things for other reasons, you know, because they genuinely are interested in, in that and not necessarily also that I can make, you know, sort of six digit, you know, salary for a career most of the time because they're, right. they're not motivated that way, but, um, well, good, good. I'm, I'm glad about that. Have you thought of um, perhaps homeschooling your children? We have. In fact, that's, that's a debate. We had a very unfortunate experience in Dallas public schools with my daughter. And, I mean, the problem with living your life is your life is anecdotal. And mm-hmm. so we operate out of those anecdotes when they're really powerful and compelling and sometimes frightening and existentially frightening. And so, um, and so yeah, and so... So we have. We've, we've been really fortunate in the sense that that whole aspect that you talked about with Simon's education, of it, of it being one that was essentially driven by his curiosity and his interest, and yet he had to stay motivated and focused, is something we found in a wonderful Montessori school uh, mm-hmm. here in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, and my kids have been there. So my daughter was kind of on a hiatus. Um, uh, when she went to public school, she got into a magnet program. And then we realized that the public school... While the magnet program emphasized academics and scholastics, and she excelled at those kinds of things, there was a whole component that was missing uh, in terms of social justice, in terms of ethical behavior, uh, and those sorts of things that we that we had at that Montessori school. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so, and so now, you know, Maria Montessori doesn't leave a lot in the way of a plan for the eight through the rest of your life trajectory, mm-hmm. grade eight through the rest mm-hmm. of your, or grade seven, the rest of your life trajectory. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're, looking. we're looking actually at other, other sorts of schools and possi- right. possibly doing something more in line with homeschooling. We have to go on a short break now. We'll be back in about 90 seconds. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Are you happy with your life? Satisfied with the direction you're taking? More importantly, are you content with the results you're seeing? Then Success Profiles Radio is the program for you. Join host Brian K. Wright as he talks to experts in many areas relating to life success, including expertise in leadership, business, relationships, careers, networking, health, overcoming adversity, and much more. Each week, we'll explore different aspects of success and how to apply them to your life. For more on Brian and the show, check out his website, briankwright.com. Each week is a dose of inspiration. So many people live their lives wanting more than they currently have. Success Profiles Radio is a show that will clearly demonstrate the principle, if I can do it, you can do it. So don't miss this opportunity to take control of your life and your results. Success Profiles Radio with Brian K. Wright. Mondays at 5 p.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. Lori Hurley, the social networking navigator, helps you overcome your overwhelm online and make social media easy. Every week, she shares the latest and greatest about social networking and welcomes industry experts and end users of different social media platforms to share their experiences moving their business forward online. Whether you are a Facebook fanatic or a lover of LinkedIn, Lori has you covered on all angles of social media, including Twitter, YouTube, blogging, Google Plus, and more. Lori shares her knowledge and love of educating others on all things social media with relevant material, engaging guests, and hot tips and techniques to help you soar down the social media highway. Join her every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time for the Social Networking News Hour here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. All right, Dogs Thomas, I have a question for you. I don't know if you've ever heard of Jeff Foxworthy. Jeff, oh, yeah, he's a comedian. Yeah, he's the redneck comedian. Okay. Right, right. So he says, you're, you're doing a home experiment right now that kind of reminds me of one of his jokes. He says, you know you're a redneck when your wife asks you to take the carburetor out of the tub before she can have a bath. <laughs> what, do you, what does your wife ask you to take uh, out of your bathtub? What yeah, are you doing? It's worse. Uh, fortunately, we have other <laughs> bathrooms. But, yeah, my, my the collective influence of... of undergraduates and children at home yeah, has, has filled our bathtub with all sorts of living things at various times. And of late, uh, we've had a colony of fire ants in our, mm-hmm. in our bathtub. And it's not, it's not 
they crawled in, we brought them there, and that's where they're living. So, so uh, I don't know. You must be the only person in Texas who would actually bring fire ants into their home. You know, it's so, amazing. If you start reading about fire ants, they're they're incredible, uh, and you'll you'll want them as pets eventually. There's a there's a there's a there's a masterful tome written by a professor in Florida uh, on named fire ants, and uh-huh. and the more I learn about them, the more the more I like them. But it was really my son's influence that that did that, mm-hmm. and some undergraduates. We my son when we got interested in ants. We bought him one of those commercial little ant farms mm-hmm. that has the the gel in it, and uh, they said you could send away for ants and it would cost additional money and I being the skin flint public servant thought mm-hmm. and biologist that's ridiculous we'll mm-hmm. get some ants but there are very few native ant species where I live uh, uh-huh. because they've all been decimated by fire ants so I just figured uh-huh. we'll collect fire ants so I got uh-huh. some information from the extension service and you know several buckets of baby powder uh, and fire ant bites later uh, we had uh, a colony, uh, a very large colony of fire ants in a, a isolation chamber in the mm-hmm. bathtub. Mm-hmm. So. And so um, now you're doing a little bit more than just watching this colony. Uh, can you see what they do? I mean, is it a transparent bucket? Well, the, so it turns out that when you're if you're if you're studying fire ants in a research context, you can you can keep them outside of sand, out, outside of any kind of uh, a matrix or milieu. They they live just fine on. Plastic being fed, you know, mealworms uh, and mm-hmm. given water through a test tube with cotton in it. Um, mm-hmm. But we were we would take, you know, fifty or sixty of those ants and put them into these uh, of workers into these uh, into this little ant farm that he got. And they did a great job. They made all kinds of tunnels. My son was amused, and uh, but he became more obsessed with the ants that were in the the the, the container in the bathtub uh, and feeding them mealworms, watching the the the, the ensuing carnage. Uh, <laughs> And, mm-hmm. and 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 so one of the things that that happened simultaneous with that is my another group of students here at the at the college uh, in a in an astrobiology class that I, I teach we're looking at organisms that can survive um, high temperatures we were looking at extremophiles and we found a particular ant that uh, that survived r- really well at boiling temperature at least for a while mm-hmm. uh, particularly kind of I'm sorry particular kind of bacteria and it turned out this bacteria was an insect pathogen so. Uh, I was at some point uh, I was telling my son about this, and we had done, you know, the students had done DNA sequencing of the the bacteria and had identified it, and and so we tried its pathogenicity on these fire ants, and so there was sort of an immediate suture made between what was sort of a silly hobby of my son and myself to uh, now sort of a, a burgeoning interest in insecticidal bacteria, and this this one is particularly effective against fire ants, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. So, so have you patented it? No, no, it's not Are something you? we can patent because it turns out, like I said, this 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 particular bacteria is known to have insecticidal bacteria. It's a it's a spore forming bacillus, mm-hmm. but um, but it's exciting in the sense that one of the things that that I've become interested in is why fire ants are patchy, why you find them in some places and you don't mm-hmm. others. Mm-hmm. And so we're starting to investigate the possibility that it might have to do with the kinds of endemic bacteria that are in the soil. Uh-huh. Um, and so so and so that's sort of the way science for me has at least worked. It's a kind of a jumble tumbling process. Certainly with undergraduates and children it is and and, mm-hmm. and I've really enjoyed it. I mean Simon is sort of the exemplar of that. He he came into that genetics class that I taught with an interest in snakes and mm-hmm. pretty much came up with the idea of using a molecular approach to genotype uh, 
uh, snakes for albinism based on PCR, which was a technique we learned in genetics. And, and he did lots of digging, and before I knew it, you know, we had snake skins in lab, and Simon was successfully isolating DNA from snake skins and, mm-hmm. and doing polymerase chain reaction on them. And it was just things just sort of materialize out of the creativity of the people around you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, well, so did you have a terrific mentor who made everything you said valid and filled with possibility? I had lots of great teachers. Uh, I yeah. can't point to a single one, but mm-hmm. I have been so lucky uh, mm-hmm. my whole life to have. I had fantastic public school uh, science teachers and math teachers all through the junior high and high school. Uh, mm-hmm. Mr. Yoshida, in particular, he was my uh, high school physics teacher, and uh, another woman by the name of uh, Eva Kantu uh, was my chemistry teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, obviously, you know, as you as you as you move along, you meet interesting professors and things like that. But I'd say, yeah, definitely, my formative influences were. When I look back, I think about certain sorts of middle school and high school teachers that really made a difference. Mm-hmm. So really enthusiastic um, um, people, because you know, you you meet a lot of academics who seem to be really bored. With, with what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Or you know, motivated. Think. Yeah, strange yeah. motivations. Not not like Simon, not motivated by curiosity, but maybe motivated by existential issues of getting tenure or getting, yeah. you know, getting yeah, prizes right. or getting grants and things like this. And, and those are teaching the same thing. Yeah, yeah. You don't teach and, the same thing, do you? No, I mean, the, the idea is, is the, the fortunate thing about being in a, in a community college is it's a lot like being a scientist in, you know, the late 19th century, early 20th century, where the money for your 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 science slash hobby is local, and there the accountability is mostly to to your teaching, and uh, and research is is an ancillary joy. It's not uh, it's not a bread and butter issue, mm-hmm. um, and and I like that. I I I, I, mm-hmm. I I think that's very healthy. At least for me, it is. So yeah. So do you spend a lot of time looking through a microscope? Uh, as much as I can. <laughs> yeah, so you enjoy doing that. I do very much. I, I, I uh, and I, what I really like, uh, and I realize is why I wanted to teach is I really like watching. I'm a voyeur. I like watching other people have fun doing mm-hmm. science. So, mm-hmm. so nothing is as pleasing as doing microscopy with a student who's never looked through an epifluorescence microscope at mm-hmm. uh, at at at, at, at algae inside of a paramecium and and watching them have that moment. Uh, is is delightful and and yeah. it's uh it's completely in a way it's totally self serving I mean it's it's a it's a it's an exhilaration I feel but but hopefully they're they're served well as well by it and so I like I like so, I like undergraduates yeah well um, I was I was going to say a whole new world opens up when you look under a microscope right it does. There's, yeah, yeah. There's that's, a there's there's a, a universe uh unseen to us that is ever expanding. Uh it's one of the things that's really fun about teaching biology at the college level is that I'm constantly reading and one of the things that's really changing is our our whole approach to diversity of life on earth and and what we're learning is that most of it is microbial and that the planet really is a microbially run planet which is really counterintuitive and yeah. And so, yeah, and so microscopy is fundamental to those sorts of those sorts of think, ways of thinking and investigation. So, yeah. So, how do you go from that 
to your house that you are um, renovating and struggling with and, you know, being a father and being a husband and being a handyman and, from what I've heard, a great cook. So it sounds as though you have lots of talent. You're not just kind of narrow-minded. Oh, uh, I, I, I don't know. Sometimes I feel fairly myopic, but um, <laughs> but the house, the house is uh, really a, a very uh, mixed blessing. I have, we've always lived, we've, my wife and I were scientists in New York and we always lived in apartments. We were grad students before that. And we only really bought our first house, you know, when most people have been landed and, and have gone through these things, you know, at earlier phases in their life. So, so, so for me, it's, it's been sort of a blessing and a curse. I, I think, um, like, one of the things that I do enjoy about houses, and particularly old houses, is how much they are like living things. Um, uh, one of the things that I talk to about my students a lot is evolution and the idea that that there is an underlying order to things, uh, and, and you can attribute you know all kinds of significance to that, but that that underlying order is made on the fly. And when I get under my house or up in the attic of my house and I see wiring that came from, you know, that's the, the, the tube and socket wiring of the turn of the century fused to aluminum, fused to Romex, I realized that my house has no plan. It's a, it's a viable, real structure, but it is, it is a product of evolution. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Weakened warrior evolution for the last hundred years, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, so you, do, you do have these weird sorts of junctures between your, your philosophical dispositions in, in life, at least at work, and, and moments at home when you realize, hey, I'm just battling the second law of thermodynamics all over again. So, mm-hmm. so it, it's it's been enjoyable in that sense. There's, there's, I'd lose my mind otherwise if I couldn't find those connections. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, it sounds as though you can actually, you don't. Well, you can take your job home with you if you want to, because it makes it really interesting for your children and anybody else that's around that's kind of got the same mindset. But you can actually leave it, leave it behind when you have to deal with these, you know, sort of the real world. So <laughs> a lot of times we think of scientists as being ethereal, you know, and then they're really not. Um, oh no, I, my world. experience with scientists has been anything. But that they've been all to me. I've been lucky. I mean, maybe I've met a select group of scientists, but they've always been very grounded. And I've always, I've always been fortunate to be around people who were as interested in the interiors of cells as they were in, in good books and great movies and. you know, collecting mushrooms or 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 reading uh, Victorian literature. My wife mm-hmm. uh, is a is a scientist, but she was first sort of trained uh, as an intellectual historian. Um, mm. And so, and so the the yeah the world of the world of science is very much a human enterprise. I mean, mm-hmm. you have a son who's very much a scientist, and yet he is yeah. so big, so yeah. so diverse, and such a Renaissance man, and. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, that is one of the things that's, that's, that I think is sort of a goal for me as a teacher is to make sure that my students realize that science is a very human enterprise and it's yeah. fraught with all, the, all those issues. Well, we're going on another short break. Dr. Thomas, can you come back for about five more minutes? Absolutely. Thank you. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Second chances. We all deserve them, and we are all worthy of them. 
second chances. With your host, Midge Noble. Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central on TogiNet is like coming home to warm, fresh-baked cookies, a hug from Grandma, or an enthusiastic greeting from your dog. Second Chances, hosted by Midge Noble, a licensed professional counselor, is affirming, warm, genuine, validating, and thought-provoking. Second Chances is a place to be heard, a place to laugh, a place to cry, and a place to be seen. For more on Midge and Second Chances, check out MidgeNobleSecondChances.com. Then be a part of a show that will change how you think, how you feel, and what you do. Give yourself the gift of second chances and see where it will take you. So take a deep breath, open your heart, open your mind, and join host Midge Noble for second chances. Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central on toginet.com. It's time to awaken your creativity and unlock your greatness by listening to The Nancy Pristine Show every Thursday from noon to 2 Central Time on toginet.com. Nancy is also known as the Happiness and Well-Being Ambassador. She's an award-winning author and radio talk show host. And every week on The Nancy Pristine Show, you'll hear tips, stories, and tested techniques from celebrities, star athletes, and executive business people. People who have achieved greatness in their field. Everyone deserves the ultimate life. And now you can create your own success story and achieve a brand new you by listening to The Nancy Pristine Show. The intent of The Nancy Pristine Show is to give you everything you need for happiness, well-being, and success. For more on Nancy and the show, check out her website, Nancy Pristine. That's P-R-I-S-T-I-N-E dot com. Then listen up. You will never settle for second best again. You're going to love The Nancy Pristine Show every Thursday from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Central Time on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. So, Dr. Thomas, I'm glad that um, you you say that scientists are, you know, very whole people and um, sounds really creative, too. Yeah, it is, definitely. I mean, yeah. the, to, fundamentally, I think what humans are good at, like what defines us as a species, is our ability to ask questions. Mm-hmm. And, and when you ask questions, you can answer them in all kinds of ways. You can answer them through music. You can answer them through art. You can answer them through 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 contemplation and philosophy, and science is just like that. And and one of the things is is that whenever you do any of those things, there's a there's you bring yourself into it, and you have to you have to think. And and so scientists spend lots of time uh, negotiating their questions in terms of controls and experimental designs, and mm-hmm. all those kinds of things are require great a great deal of creativity. Simon's development of that that protocol for for doing PCR on isolated DNA from snake skins was wasn't something that was immediately clear and and so he had to scrounge in the literature he had to scrounge within himself to figure out you know what appropriate controls were and mm-hmm. things like that so so yeah it, it absolutely is a creative process yeah yeah well I'm, I'm glad it is both of my both of my boys are very creative artistic people because they come from a family that's a very creative artistic family but they are both also very organized in their thinking and very good at math and very good at science and you know you hear that that can't happen that usually doesn't happen but you know i see it happening play played right out in my house so yeah absolutely i think i think there is a lot to be said for the similarity between those sorts of, you know, 
intelligences that we sort of, you know, stereotypically think of as liberal art or art um, mm -hmm. and scientific intelligences because I can say that, like, my most interesting and interrogative and curious and intellectually challenging students in terms of, like, that I think would make great scientists invariably come from the liberal arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the the liberal arts is is I think is core to any education much more so than the sciences because it's in the liberal arts that you really do learn to frame questions and learn mm -hmm. to be um, skeptical in arguments and mm -hmm. and and all those kinds of skills are things that you know I'm not really sure science is the best is the best way to teach those kinds of things. I do know that literature and history and art are great ways of teaching those things. And mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. so it's, I don't think it's, it's, for me, I'm never surprised when I find a fantastic science student and I ask them, well, what's your major? And they say, dance. And I'm like, rats, you know? So, uh, <laughs> well, but, you know, uh, if you go back and look at some of those um, old, um, you know, sort of brilliant minds, they're not um, just scientists there are lots of other things as well you know architects and lawyers and you know they're, they're all of those things too you go back to that ancient school of, of learning and they they were you know if they were good at one thing it's like show business you know you see this actor and you go oh my gosh he can sing and dance too you know they're yeah, all yeah. rounders yeah i think maybe that's just like a, a recent effect a uh, cultural phenomena of science yeah. becoming a way of making a living you know when yeah. it yeah. when you know sits when, alone yeah, yeah. Poetry and art and things like that uh, probably were were accorded the s similar status to science maybe 150 years ago. Certainly among the Victorians, if if you had been a Victorian student and told your father you wanted to pursue sciences, it would have been probably tantamount to telling a very conservative dad that I want to be a rock star or something yeah. like that. You know, and, <laughs> and that's that's not the case anymore. And maybe maybe there's something that's not so great about that. You know, maybe there's yeah. something to be said for for what for for you know, for science, poetry, and art sort of still being in the same... All round, that's yeah. right. You know, because yeah. I have a friend who's a, a scientist, and um, she looks through a microscope all the time, and she just lives for when she's not doing that. She wants to get out and do her other stuff. So she finds it um, very tedious, and that's why I thought, oh, maybe, maybe, um, you know, it's... Well, I suppose there are certain... Like, my son, like Simon, could not do that. He couldn't sit and look in a microscope. He's just too active to do that kind of thing, but... Uh, you can balance it, like this balance, I suppose. Absolutely, but he can. He knows so much about Okapi, and there's no way he could know all those things without careful consideration. Yeah. Yeah, and and I'm sure, like I could never sit around and stare at Okapi, but uh, <laughs> but I'm glad there are people who do because I think it's it's neat and it's interesting and it's important, you know. It so, takes all sorts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and, and he's he, he is amazing that way. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, Dr. Thomas, we've come to the end of our time. I've thoroughly enjoyed talking with you. I've been talking to Dr. Colin Thomas, a professor of science at the local college where all my children attended. We talked about the increasingly significant change in his disposition towards homeschoolers and the part my son played in unraveling the myth that they weren't odd and not socialized by any means. We also talked about what it takes to be a scientist, how looking into a microscope is only part of the story. We discovered a professor who takes a great interest in his young students, encouraging them to contribute to his exploration into the wise and wherefores of nature in a random feedback process filled with hope, joy, friendship, invention, and ant bites at times. Dr. Thomas, I've had so much fun. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today and witnessing to the difference homeschool students have made on your life.
Well, thank you, and I'm grateful for what you've done. Well, thank you very much. You have a wonderful weekend. Likewise. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, we got out over the weekend. I'll tell you what, it's really cool here now. My office is nice and cool. So the weather became like English weather, which is where I thrive. And I took out my iPod and I started um, taking some pictures again because I am the historian of the family and my goal during my fruitful period of our lives was to record the process of how our children were developing for us to enjoy in our winter years on DVD. Well, I did that as long as there were children around. And then in England, my focus switched to the Englishness of life. And I intentionally kept a photographic record of our outings, thank goodness. But on my return stateside, I've not taken one picture of this American's life. And I should have since I am now an American. And all that changed this weekend. And I found that our city has a lot of different kinds of appeal. Um, we went with Dortz uh, downtown to visit a Mexican artisan market where we found hammered metal lampshades and colorful mirrors and unique crosses. To add to the several cross walls we have springing up all over Texas as our children branch out and start their own in their apartments. Um, we browsed through the farmer's market, which our youngest had never been to before, yet my Texan and I always purchased our fresh produce there regularly with our other children in tow. So she must have either not remembered or not been born yet. So it made me realize how long ago that was and how much history was accumulated between us, all faithfully documented, I must add, in dozens of photo albums. And Dorts announced in the car on our way home that she was accidentally hungry. How that happens at 1 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon after a plateful of donuts at 11 in the morning is absolutely beyond me. Even though she's 20, though, immediately our concerned parenting bell started clanging as we worried about our hungry child. I used to think it would permanently damage my children's insides if they had rumbling tummies. I wonder what it was about my childhood that inspired me to allow my children to eat whenever they wanted to. We did have regular meal times, don't get me wrong, but sometimes those were just a little bit too far apart to keep a young, growing body tummy growling free. So we screeched off the freeway to a favorite place of ours, the Highland Park Pharmacy. Don't ask me why it's a favorite. It's 100 years old and has managed to retain its Norman Rockwall-esque feel. Nothing fancy in the decor, nothing at all culinary on the menu, just a little bit of kitsch in action. Our daughter ate her BLT and drank her milkshake as we cooed over her, took photos and watched adoringly. When do we stop being parents, for goodness sake? She could have waited until we got home accidentally hungry indeed. Well, I decided to test my Craigslist skills again. Hadn't been very successful with the sofa for the nest and we ended up going to Ikea. But my daughter is wanting a new mattress. She replaced her single bed for a queen when a friend of her brother's was giving his away as with some freebies, this one was not a goodie. She has backache because it's either just too soft or just downright worn out. My cowboy looked at Sam's online, expensive. Dorts looked at Craigslist, also expensive, at least where she was looking. So I tried my hand and found three different prices, ranging from $60 to 125 And um, the $60 one came through, so um, the bed was being ousted for a crib because they were expecting their first baby. And when we got there, the mattress had pillow tops on both sides, so it was a steal. 
Sort of clamp it style. We hauled it onto the roof of Rosie, our red PT cruiser, and tied it securely with rope through the windows before realizing when we tried to get into the car and peel off that we tied the doors firmly shut too. Oh, well, said my Texan, as if this were a common occurrence for him. We'll have to climb in through the windows. Oh, yes, he's a cowboy. No doors on horses. Well, we did clamber in through the windows. What a sight. I took photos, and we got home, and I was congratulating myself all the way on my find and the steal of a price. We unfolded ourselves back through the windows, untied it, and dragged it upstairs and threw it on the box springs, and guess what? It was a full darn. We had to reverse the journey. Not such a good find after all. Guess what I'll be doing again this week. My fellow host and friend whose show on Toginet Radio is about to is about stay-at-home parents has changed her time from Fridays at 5 to Mondays at 7 Central, and I was congratulating her on this via my email, and she said she'd never done a show on homeschooling, better not have ever done a show on homeschooling without me, and she confessed that she had these preconceived notions about homeschoolers, just like my guest, so she invited me to be her guest, and I'm so excited, and when the date comes out, she has a whole person who actually schedules her guests for her. I'll let you know. Well, that's it for another week, and I think we're going to do a flying visit to Lindale to see Grandmama tomorrow. It may rain. I hope so. I could do with some help with the watering. We may see our sons for dinner, and I think we're painting some furniture for the nest, and I'm looking on Craigslist again. Hope you've had fun this hour, and will join me next week, same time, same place, here on Toginet Radio. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband, who believes in love at first sight. Our four children, who are the result of that belief, the hard-working staff at Toginet Radio, my guest and Simon's all-time fan, top fan, Dr. Thomas, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Anne in Lindell, Hannah, Tina, Rosemary, Sarah, Margaret, and many others who are part of my growing audience. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Numbers 6, 24 to 26. Doop, 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 And you know what? I think I'm going to have to send Dr. Thomas some flowers or something because he really did talk up Simon a lot. Go, Dr. Thomas. And I hope, hope, hope that a lot of you out there aren't too frightened to send your children off to a college campus because you know what? I think there are lots of Dr. Thomases out there. You just need to go find them. So see you next week. Bye. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Togi.